Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. But uh, Christ is enough for me. It's everything I need. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need. So if we believe that on today, we're just not singing words just to be singing words, but we believe that he is everything we need, then um, let us believe different and act different because of that. He is everything we need, and it's in him. And then that second song they sing, you are my supply, my breath of life, still more awesome than I know. All of you is more than enough for me. For every thirst and need, you satisfy me with your love, and all I have is you, in you is more than enough. So we serve a more than enough God who is everything we need. So during this week, I pray that whatever obstacles or circumstances that come your way, you will remember that Christ is enough for me. No matter trials, situations, bad news, disappointments, good news, praise reports, that Christ is enough. Um, throughout your week, throughout your day, um, throughout your year, remember that Christ is enough for me. And so when that storm comes, and it will come, we will proclaim that Christ is enough for us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, I won't be before you long, I hope. (laughs) Um, Just want to, again, it is beach month, so we have our beach attire on. I'm looking to myself, I got on my dark colors, but I have my flops on, so I don't normally wear flops and preach, so this is new. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll be more beachy next week as well. But this week, this month, again, it's all beach month, so wear your beach attire, your sundresses, your sun hats, your appropriate beach attire, again. <laughs> um, and then next month is movie month in August. And I know what I'm going to be preaching on. I don't know there, who else is preaching or what else they'll be preaching, but I have my movies picked out, I think. I'm not going to. And when it gets, maybe the Sunday before, I'll, we'll let you know, or I'll let you know what I'll be preaching so that uh, there will be spoiler alerts because we will, <laughs> I will let you know the end of the movie. So if you hadn't seen it, you will know <laughs> the whole movie by the time you end, of the end of the service. So uh, just to alert you, so you may want to see it beforehand if you, if you can. Um, I'm not doing anything too 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 current um, that's not already either on DVD or can't be seen on Netflix or something. Um, but yeah, so that is next month, movie month. So we'll have some special treats outside, like we have snow cones for this month, and we'll maybe have some ice cream sandwiches next week as well, some other different things for the beach month. Um, for movie month, we'll have some movie-themed items. That's all I'm going to tell you. So. Uh, we won't charge you like the movie theater charges you. Jesus paid it all. <laughs> We're not going to put a premium on uh, Mike and Ike's $10 for a box that you can get from the dollar store. Um, uh, but, yeah, so just want to review. From last week, we talked about people fishing. Um, and we talk about what we need when we go fishing and what we have to have to go fishing. Uh, and we talk about putting on the right attire, which is coming out of Ephesians 6:10. I'm um, talking about putting on the whole armor of God. 
We also said we need to know what we are catching when you go fishing. Uh, and we're catching unbelievers. That's, that's what we want to do. Um, we also want to choose the right bait. So once you know what you're, ch- what you're trying to catch, then you could choose your right bait to catch those individuals. And the right bait would be good deeds, as in Matthew 5 and 16 talked about doing good deeds. Uh, Galatians 5, 22 through 23 it's the fruit of the Spirit. So that's how we're going to catch the unbeliever. Uh, we're going to catch them with our love, our love for one another. And Jesus proclaimed that in John 13, 34, and 35, that they will know us by the love that we show and the love for one another. And to uh, go on the, in depth on that a little bit, because just in reviewing that, um, Acts 2, 42 through 47 came to mind. And how the early church really showed love for one another. And it reads, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That's love. Every day they continued to meet together. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Um, So that's uh, just a depiction of the love that they showed for one another, that they were willing to Go above and beyond. I'm not saying that you need to go sell your house and your car and give to me. I'm not saying that at all. If you wanted to, I would not. No, I wouldn't take it. But um, <laughs> but we're not saying that at all. But you're wanting to go above and beyond and showing love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to have a heart for each other because we're going to talk about having a heart for the world uh, today. But again, they, the world would know us by how we love one another. And so it is important, one, that we perfect love for one another. Because if we don't perfect that, how will the world know that we are his? Because um, that's how they're going to know us. And that's how they're going to be drawn to us. And then I talked about preaching Christ to him crucified uh, as the bait that we use to uh, win the world over. And so with that bait... Hopefully we're going to perfect those things and preach Christ and love one another and have the fruit of the Spirit and good do, good, do good deeds. But um, it was important for me to make sure that we have an understanding of what fishing is about and why we are fishing. Because some people would say, well, I'm not a fisherman. I don't like fishing. I don't even like eating fish. <laughs> uh, and some people will say, well, I don't, I don't evangelize. I don't like evangelizing. I don't like going out and trying to win the world. That's the pastor's job, or that's that team job, or we give money for someone else to do that in other countries. That's not what I want to do. That's not my ministry. But recall to win the world and preach Christ. And so I was listening to a podcast uh, by Francis Chan, and it was titled, For those who don't enjoy evangelism. (laughs) Yeah. So it caught my attention. I was like, oh, maybe he's going to give us a new 
doctrine or word that says we don't have to evangelize, and that would be nice, but that was not the case at all. Uh, but he starts out by giving his personal testimony. And before I go into that, we're going to be coming out of Matthew 16, 13 through 17. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It may be on the screen. But it's Matthew 16, 13 through 17. And it reads, when Jesus came to the region of uh, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets and then Jesus says but what about you he asked who do you say I am and I'm going to stop right there before we go into us but that's the question I'm going to pose for you today Uh, who do you say Jesus is and your answer to that question is going to either change the way you live or possibly you continue to Continue living the way you are. Because when you know who he is and all that he is, then that changes our life and our lifestyle. Um, It is not a life of complacency. It is not a life of mediocrity. It is a life of love and sacrifice. And it is a life that gives us a burden for the lost. So when we answer that answer, who did we say he is correctly, then our lives will change. So back to Francis Chan. Uh, So in in that podcast, he gives his personal testimony, which I didn't know a lot about Francis Chan. I had heard him on TV and different videos, but I didn't know a whole lot. Um, But personally, uh, his mother died in childbirth, giving birth to him. Um, His father remarried. And then his stepmother, I guess, died when he was eight in a car accident. Um, And then when he was 12, his father died from cancer. And so he said his life was filled with, and then he had a close aunt and uncle to die. The uncle murdered the aunt, and the uncle killed himself when he was in high school. So his life was filled with sudden death of people. And it gave him a burden for the loss because you never knew, to him, you never knew when you were going to be gone. You never knew when your life would end. And because he grew up like that, he, when he became saved as a, as a high schooler at a, you know, a youth event when he was introduced to Christ, and he said he, had, he grew up in church but really didn't understand um, Christ until he got to high school and someone really uh, explain what Christ did and what the cross meant, uh, that he began to have a burden for the lost, a sincere burden for people and souls, uh, because he realized that there was a hell and a heaven. And he realized that people could go to hell if they didn't know Christ. And so many times, uh, we, the church, are the people who believe in hell, but we live like there is no hell, because we have become so complacent and just okay with the loss being lost. Um, so that was, not, that was not Francis Chan's story. And I am honest, you listen to the podcast, you can look at the problem on iTunes or Google Play. Uh, again, it says for those who don't enjoy evangelism. But he goes and talks about how he has such a burden for souls, even in high school. He will pray for his high school friends. He, would, uh, he said when they got his, he was a junior when they got the yearbook, 
he realized that all the seniors were going to be graduating. He wouldn't, uh, there was a possibility that he wouldn't see them again. And so he called each one of them up to tell them about Christ because he said, this may be your only time I get to tell you about Christ. I said, man, that's passion. That's zeal for the lost. Uh, he talked about running for class president only because he wanted to get in front of a group and present Christ. He talked about taking a public speaking class in college because he knew he would be in front of a classroom and he can present the gospel to that class. Every opportunity he had or he encountered, he wanted to present Christ to the people in front of him because he didn't know if he was going to see them again tomorrow. Because his mom died, his dad died, his aunt and uncle to pass, and so that was just a burden for him. And I asked, is that our burden for the lost? Do we live as if we may not see some people tomorrow, that their souls will be lost, and that there is a hell that they could possibly go to? And so again, that goes back to answering that question. Um, who do you say I am? My own personal testimony, um, I got saved when I was 18, which is rare, I, I understand. Um, I was eating dinner last Sunday with some members, and when I told them my personal testimony, they were like, wow, that's, that's odd that you actually got saved in, when you were in college, or my freshman year in college, uh, because a lot of times people are moving away from Christ at that point in time. And I'll share some statistics later about what that looks like. Uh, but normally... If you haven't received Christ before you were 12 or 13 or in high school or early high school, by the time you're 18 or 19, you don't want to do anything, have any dealings with church whatsoever. Even if you grew up in church, um, you slowly drift away and you slowly don't attend. Um, but I'll, God kept me. <laughs> so I was saved uh, my freshman year. Uh, I didn't go to a Christian college. I went to NC State. Uh, originally from North Carolina. And I had such a passion and a zeal for uh, the things of God. You know, I would seek out Bible studies throughout the week. You know, who's having a Bible study? Where can I go plug in to learn more about Christ? Uh, I would not miss a service. (laughs) Uh, If my campus ministry was on campus or whether they were going somewhere else, I would ask for a ride because I didn't have a car at that time. So, hey, you going... You know, are you going to church? Are you going to uh, that church out, uh, in North Raleigh? I want to go. Are you going? They're going to be preaching over in Garner. I want to go. They're going to be in Cary. I want to go. I'm a ride. Did not uh, hesitate to ask for a ride because I wanted to hear the word where it was being preached. Uh, but then life happens. <laughs> you get a little older. Um, work and other priorities come into play. Um, bills. Sometimes it's uh, decisions that we have made um, that causes life priorities to be the way they are. Uh, For me personally. And so I'll be honest, I I don't have that same zeal and fire that I had when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Um, I I didn't have the responsibilities then either, but I still didn't have that. I still don't have that zeal and fire. I remember... I would. Um, I used to be a runner. I still run sometimes, but I've picked up some weight. But it's okay, though. Um, <laughs> um, I remember praying when I would run. And that, and that was what I do, did all the time. And I would just pray the whole time I ran. And 
And whenever there was like inclement weather that was on the horizon, I would ask the Lord, hey, how much time do I have before I need to get home? I, that's, that's what I did. You know, that's, that's how we were communicating then. Like, oh, Lord, you know, how much time do I have before I get home? And I would think the Lord would tell me, well, you got about 15 minutes. You got, and, and sure, every time, you guys, that's where my faith was, every time he was right. Every time. He would say, you got about five minutes. You better hurry up. I'm going on back. He was right every time. And that so increased my faith being a young believer that God would speak to me and tell me what the weather conditions were going to be like on my run so that I can get back in. How insignificant that is, really, but how important that was for me at the time that I was hearing his voice and I was like, okay, and I was being obedient to that. Um, We get busy, unfortunately, and we do become complacent. And we as individuals do that, and then also corporately as the church body, uh, we do that. And so many times just we look at church as the building versus the people. Uh, But we are the church. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church, the corporate body of church. And and unfortunately in America, uh, church has become an entertainment complex uh, of sorts. We're here to pleasure you, to please your ears. We want you to sit back and do nothing on Sundays, but listen and then go back to your houses or your individual places. And I don't know what you do with this word. Um, it makes you feel good for a few hours or a few days, and then by Wednesday you probably need to hear something else. Um, and that's why a lot of churches have Bible studies on Wednesdays and Thursdays, just to give you another jolt of energy. They make you stay saved until Sunday again, and then they... <laughs> kind of see you <laughs> that's how it is really i mean that's what and it kind of fades off and it's like oh i need to go to service instead of saying hey i need to know this word and live this word out and then i need i need to teach this word to my neighbors to my friends to my coworkers, to the young people at the grocery store who i encounter on a regular basis uh or the convenience store um when i'm going on whatever i'm doing throughout the week I need to know this word so that I can tell them about it because this may be the last opportunity I have to see them and to share the gospel. It said that 70% of teenagers involved in church or youth groups stop attending church within two years of their high school graduation. 70%. Let me say that again. 70% of teenagers involved in church youth groups Stop attending church within two years of their high school graduation. If you didn't know what 70 is, that's more than the majority of youth and youth group stop attending church within two years of their graduation. It says 88% of children in evangelical homes leave church at the age of 18. 88%. That's close to 90% of us. So we're losing our youth. It said that within, I read, because I read a lot of statistics, that within, I don't know, they gave 15 years, I think, but that church attendance will be in half of what it is currently. Because we're raising a group of kids who don't go to church. And when they did go to church, they were only going to church because we made them go to church. And then when they leave our houses, they say, I'm done with that. Because it wasn't sincere to them. It says um, the majority of teenagers are 
incredibly inaccurate about their faith, uh, their religious beliefs and practices and the places in their lives. It says, the de facto dominant religion among contemporary, contemporary U.S. Christians is what they call moralistic therapeutic deism. A God is this who created and orders the world and watches over human life on earth. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem and good people go to heaven when they die. That is what a majority of young people are believing. It's probably what the majority of adults are believing. That all I got to do is be good and I'll get into heaven. I don't personally need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I know him as a good moral leader. That's how they would answer that question. I believe in church. I believe in God and Jesus. But I don't necessarily do the things in the Bible and I don't live that life. Because still, um, in America, 70% of people would say they are Christians. In, in, in this country, 70% would say they are Christians. But I, would, I, I look for some statistics that say out of that 70%, <laughs> who are actually living a life. Because um, it's not that 70%. Um, because we, we talk the good word, um, but we don't live the life. Um, there's a trend away from formal religions in most countries. Um, atheism and agnostics and uh, no affiliation to religions has increased by at least 6% uh, since, two, since 2008. So there are increase on people who either don't believe in God or don't believe in any uh, religious activities necessary. Uh, like I said, 70% of Americans still would believe that they are Christian, and then 72% of Americans would say that religion is losing its influence on American life. Is, I think that's a direct indictment on the church, that we are losing our savor. We are the salt of the earth. And when I know personally, if we don't have salt and it's not useful, I throw it away. It's not seasoning my food. My wife has actually personally done away with salt. So we don't have salt in the house, and I was disappointed because I was cooking some eggs, and uh, I wanted some salt. She said, use something else. I was like, oh, come on, salt. Salt, salt is easy. Uh, I know, <laughs> know what it does. I can see God saying that too. Hey, I want my salt back. You need it. Um, we, the American church, want to be entertained we don't want to work. We're not faithful in our attendance. Uh, we're just not faithful in general. Um, and this is inspired by Francis Chan. I listened to his podcast and several others, and I was reading. Um, he said, as he went on in seminary, he said, this is funny, not not funny, really funny, but it was funny. Um, so he went to you know went to college, and then he uh, he was. Still on fire for the Lord in college. He said the worst years of his life looking back was when he was in seminary. And I thought, I was like, wow, why do you say that, Francis? It was like because he was getting all this biblical knowledge and wasn't able to apply it. Um, he said because of, he was so busy studying and debating the finer points of theology 
but was missing out on just going out on the corner and witnessing to the homeless guy or just being able to share the good news. Uh, he, he shared a story about he, they had gotten this, that wrote a paper or something about uh, the gospel. I can't remember specifically what at this time, but he said, you know, so he was so impassioned and had, you know, so excited about it, and it was almost time for a break, and so his friends were going to the beach, and he was like, where's the beach? Uh, he said, hey, where are you guys going? You know, we just got this good word. You, I, w- I want to go share it. And they was like, no, we're going to the beach. We're going to relax. And he was just like, well, maybe I should do that too since everyone else is, but he chose to go to downtown L.A. and to share the gospel uh, to people there. Because he still had a spark of that zeal, and he knew what it was like. Uh, he said after he finished seminary, he started a church. And it was soon after him starting that church, and he, he stepped down from ministry because he said he felt like he was just empty. Um, church was entertainment. People hopped churches. If they didn't like this song or this singer or this pastor or this speaker, they would go somewhere else and spend a little time there for a year or two. And with something there they didn't like or someone upset them or bumped them or bumped into them in the hallway. They chose to go to another church. Um, and that's how we, we have that luxury, unfortunately, in America to do that. Um, and, and studying for this, I looked at the underground church because uh, Francis talks about him going to China and how that really made a difference. And so I looked up the China underground church. And I, w- I was going to share a video, but I was like, well, I don't want to play on people's sympathies. I don't want you to be moved by a video. I want you to be moved by the Holy Spirit and what that does for you and not necessarily a video. Um, but people, people lives, people are being killed to meet together as a church, as a body. People lives are on the line just to read the word that we take for granted so much. That I take for granted. Uh, just coming to church, I freely drove here. No one stopped me. There were no checkpoints. And we have this building, and, and no one is trying to kill anyone when we come here. Uh, but there are places in the world where them meeting can mean their lives. And it's just moving because we can, I can, become so casual in my Christianity and put it on like it's a jacket and throw it down like it's, you know, dirty clothes. And so I had to ask myself, you know, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? What are you believing we're believing in programs. We're believing in, you know, whatever the world has to offer. Is that what we believe? Or do we believe that he is the Christ, the Messiah? We personally don't have a heart for the lost. I um, look at Romans 9, 1 and 5, and I think Paul starts out saying, you know, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. And I think he says that because what he goes on to say is so unbelievable, but he had to start out by saying, I'm not lying. (laughs) My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. 
I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. Wow. Paul is saying, I wish I was cursed because they're not saved. I wish it was on me to win them over for my people, those of my race, the people of Israel. That's a level of passion and zeal for the loss that we don't see. And that's why we're just like, man, Paul, this can't be true. But then if you look at Paul's life, you actually say, man, this dude was real. He was beaten. He was put in jail. He was willing to go the distance to win people over to Christ. But I don't know if you should say or you should be take on the curse. But it would definitely change the way or should change the way that we present Christ to people. Because people are lost. And they want a savior. And we have that. In Jesus Christ. It, says, it goes on to say, for, uh, theirs is the adoption of sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. And I almost think of that, that as the American church. You know, we have such privilege, such freedom, such power, such knowledge in this word, but yet so many of us are devoid of anything that looks like it. We have lost uh, our heart for the loss, and we've lost our, our power to defend our faith. We're not very good apologetics. We don't have good apologetics. We have an understanding, an idea of what the Bible says. But apologetics is meaning defending our faith. And so many times we don't share because we don't know our faith that well ourselves. And so if we're easily confronted with a question or something we're not prepared for, not ready for, then we're like, well, I won't do that again. <laughs> When instead we should say, well, let me read this word so that I can be prepared for this when we go forward. So I ask you today, will you answer? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Who do you say he is? Going back in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. It says, um, this is the NIV says Messiah. Uh, I think the King James Version says, uh, Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Christ comes from Christos, a Greek word that means the anointed one, the chosen one. Um, and Messiah is the promised deliverer. And if we agree with Peter and meaning and answer the same way that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, or you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, then that comes with a whole lot. It's just not an empty saying. That, was, that Peter 
That's when he later said, Bless our Simon, son of Peter, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. Because if we believe that he is the Christ, then we believe that, just as in Genesis 3.15, he is the seed who came to defeat sin and Satan. Uh, in Genesis 12.3, he's the promised offspring who will bring blessings to all nations. In Exodus 12, he is the promised lamb that will be slain, to be slain to pay the price for sinners. Exodus 16 and 17, he's the promised food from heaven and water who gives us life. Leviticus, he's the great high priest who alone can make atonement for our sin. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet whose word can always be trusted. In Joshua, he is the Lord who will save us. In Ruth, the redeemer who loves us. Samuel, Chronicles, and Kings, he is the Messiah King who is coming to reign over us. In Psalms, he is the Son of Man and the Son of God who will be crucified and resurrected from the dead. The prophet says he is the baby that will be born of a virgin, God with us. That's Isaiah 7:14. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That is in Isaiah 9, 6. He is suffering servant who will pay the price for our sins. Isaiah 53. He's the loving Savior who heals the lame, blind, and deaf. Isaiah 35. Ezekiel 34 says he's the son of man. Daniel 7, the authoritative king. Hosea 3, the faithful husband. Zechariah 6, high priest and king. Malachi 3, the God that will come to us. When Peter says that you are the Christ Messiah, Peter is saying that you are the one from the foundations of the world who was promised to come, forgive us, and free us from sin, and lead us as Lord over our lives. So that's just not an empty saying when he says he is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is all these things through us from the foundation of the world. So I will admonish you today and the rest of this week to... Search your heart and see how you personally answer that question. Who do you say he is? And answer it the way you believe and not just because Peter gave the right answer and you know the right answer. (laughs) But answer it because of what you believe and what you know. And that will determine how you live and give you a passion and zeal for the lost that um, I'm not saying you need to be like Francis Chan. That's not what I'm saying. You need to be you in this endeavor. Um, but what that looks like, I've, I've listened to Francis' podcast now, I believe, ten times in the last two weeks. I really, do, I really have. Um, because it's going to change my life. It's, it's going to make me um, witness. Because that's not something that... Um, I grew up doing, was around a lot, but it's like, man, this, this needs to be done. This, this is, it is our burden. It is our responsibility. If I'm going to call myself a part of the church body, not just Cornerstone, but a part of the church globally, then it is my job to share the good news to people. Because people, I, I personally have a, a personality that people want to tell me certain things. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was maybe the counselor, which I used to do counseling years ago, uh, in me that I listen 
I don't necessarily give a lot of feedback, but I listen to people like when you listen to them. And I'll ask probing questions. And people like to be asked probing questions. So they tell you more. Sometimes they tell me too much. But, <laughs> but uh, that, it, you know, people, even people I've just met are willing to tell, hey, you know, personal things or whatever. And a lot of times I say, oh, I'll pray for you. But I really should be saying, do you know Christ? <laughs> Uh, my prayers can only go but so far, and I pray that God answers them and meets, meets that need. But uh, my endeavor should be, do you know Christ? Uh, and the power of and his resurrection power. So that your life will be changed and the people around your lives will be changed. Let's not do casual church. Um, the underground church in China, in Iran, in North Korea in these countries where they're dying, literally dying, when they come to church, when they, there's a possibility that they will be jailed for meeting. People are meeting in caves, um, places where they can't be seen. When they say underground, they mean underground church. <laughs> um, and we take that for granted. But uh, let us not do casual church and be different and change. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.